Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. We are a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, please visit www.vcnola.com. Here is this week's message. The cross has many dimensions to it. And all of those dimensions are integrated. That's what we've been spending the last several weeks looking at, looking at the cross of Jesus and what the cross of Jesus has accomplished. I want to encourage you, you can go on our website if you're new or you're looking for resources, uh, things for the series, things for Lent, you can find all of those online. We're going to put up a QR code for you that you can scan and find all of that as well. So we've been talking about in week one, how the cross was a sacrifice that led to our justification. Last week, we talked about how the cross brought reconciliation, and in turn, not just reconciliation, and, but adoption. Today, what we're going to be talking about how, is how we have experienced redemption, which leads to forgiveness. And as a way to think about how these things are tied together, I want to remind you of where we were last week. Galatians chapter 4. You'll see those words on the screen. Paul wrote this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? Okay, come on now. To do, there we go. To do what? Redeem. Redeem. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, believe it or not, as I was thinking about this message today, I immediately thought of Taylor Swift. I know, you're wondering to yourself, how many of you are Swifties in the room? You might walk away from this message not liking me, and I want to apologize up front. But, you know, I, I really liked Taylor Swift like way back when she did like country, right? I've been, I've been asking Pastor Mark to do like a country Sunday. Anybody up for that? I don't know. Oh, wow, okay. Ooh, okay. So I liked Taylor Swift. When she did country, right? And then she kind of went pop, and I'm like, eh, I'm not really all that interested. And then Sarah Brichetto, a few years ago, uh, Pastor Brick's wife was like, you know, you really should check out her Evermore album. I don't know if you've ever heard that album. And I listened to that album, and it's a little bit more my alley. You know, it's kind of folksy. It's kind of the sound that I like. So, you know, with all of the all of the stuff surrounding Taylor Swift and the NFL and uh, the Super Bowl and Travis Kelsey, not to mention all the conspiracy theories, you know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to give Taylor Swift another chance. So, you know, one day a few weeks ago, I was writing a sermon and I'm sitting there and I've got Spotify open and I start with Evermore, right? Because I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to listen to this album and I'm listening to Evermore and I listen to the whole thing and then this album comes on next, Midnight's. And I'm listening through it and it's, you know, it's different. And then there's this song that pops up that I can't say the name of in church, Vigilante. 
So I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to the song, you know? I'm curious. And I'm listening to the song, and there's a line in the song that says this. Don't get sad, get even. And I stop and I think to myself, wait, 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 what did she say? Because I'm like, I'm writing a sermon, right? I know this is very spiritual music to be writing a message about Jesus to. And so like I start the song over because I'm like, wait, did I hear the song right? Don't get sad, get even. And I started to think about that line and, and here's where my thought went first. My first thought was, what would happen if the world actually operated like that? That if every single human being thought to themselves and then acted out of that thought, don't get sad, get even, none of us would be alive. <laughs> but what I want you to think about is what would happen if God acted like that. Don't get sad. Get even. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Colossians. We've been in some of Paul's letters, and we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And just like all the other passages we've looked at, there's a lot of dimensions that Paul brings up. I want to talk about two today. Redemption and forgiveness. Here's what Paul says. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Two thoughts that I want you to think about today. They're very simple yet profound. The first one is this. God forgives our debt. God forgives our debt. I want to take you back to verses 11 through 13. And there's a lot of things going on here that I want to just highlight. First, Paul says something about circumcision. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Then verse 12, he says that we have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith and then he talks about how we were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive. So in this passage, Paul is bringing up a couple different images that help us answer the question of how did Jesus forgive us? What we know about this from the New Testament is that if God forgives debt, the way in which he forgives debt is through his son Jesus. So how does Paul tell us that Jesus forgave us. He uses two images here, one of circumcision and one of baptism. Now, what's important with both of these images is that they're linked 
in the scriptures. Because in the Old Testament, circumcision is the sign of the Old Covenant. Remember a few weeks ago, actually last week, we talked about covenant. Covenant is the way that God makes relationships with people. So circumcision is the sign of the Old Covenant, and it's the way that someone, particularly a male, is initiated into that covenant. Baptism, on the other hand, is the New Testament sign of the covenant, And it's not just the sign of the covenant, it is the entrance or the initiation into that covenant. So Paul brings up these two images, circumcision and baptism, to talk about how Jesus forgives us. For circumcision, there's a good chance that in the church at Colossae, there were false teachers, there were Judaizers saying, look, Jesus is great, but don't forget There's some other stuff you need to do, like circumcision. And Paul's trying to say, no, 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 Jesus has already done that. The way that he describes this, go back and look at verse 11. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By, I want you to pay attention to this, putting off the body of flesh. That is the circumcision of Christ. There's some debate as to what Paul means here. Like, is Paul referring to a spiritual circumcision, that something happens in us, that our hearts are circumcised? He's talked about that in other letters. But I think actually what Paul is getting at is another idea that's tied to what he's saying here. That the circumcision of Christ or the putting off of the flesh actually refers to Jesus' crucifixion. That when Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins, his flesh was, in a sense, being removed. So Paul says the reason that we can be forgiven or how Jesus forgives us is because Christ himself went to the cross and, in a sense, his flesh was removed for our sins. But then he goes to baptism. And he talks about that if we die, people who die are then what? Typically, they're buried, right? And Paul says that Jesus died, and we know that Jesus was buried. And then Paul says this image that he paints before us is that just as Jesus died and was buried in baptism, we are dead, and then we are buried. And he ties this then to the resurrection, because Jesus didn't just stay buried, did he? No, he did not. He rose three days later, defeating sin, death, hell, and Satan. And so what Paul tells us is that Jesus, by going to the cross, died for our sins, and then he was buried, and then he was risen on the third day. And in the same way, we too die to sin, are buried with Christ, and raised to life. All of this to say this key thought, that Jesus absorbed all of our debt. On the cross and in the grave and resurrecting, Jesus is the one who took on our debt. Now, I want you to pick up on something. Paul's going to talk about this in a few verses later. In verse 14, he talks about how our debt has been canceled. And I think it's interesting that Paul equates sin to debt. 
It's a very interesting relationship that he paints here, and he's doing it intentionally because he wants us to understand something about our sin. He wants us to understand that sin costs something. And part of that cost is wrapped up in forgiveness. Think about it like this. You let someone borrow your car. They take your car. They total your car. That's a fantastic day, right? But then they come to you and they say, look, I am terribly sorry that I totaled your car. But the bad news is, is the reason I needed your car is because I don't have any money to pay for my own car. So I can't pay you back for the car that I just wrecked. Forgiveness is going to them and saying, hey, I forgive you and I don't expect you to pay me back. You're doing what? You are absorbing the debt. The debt that was that other person's now becomes whose? Yours. Tim Keller, that's exactly how he describes it in his book on forgiveness. He says, to forgive someone's debt is to absorb the debt yourself. And this is exactly what Christ did on the cross because our debt was so great. Our sin against the holy God was so great that there is absolutely nothing that you or I could do to be forgiven of that debt in our own power. It's far too great. And so what we've talked about the last couple of weeks when we talked about Jesus being our sacrifice is that Christ died in our place for our what? Sin. He absorbed the debt. He took on the penalty for that sin. And this is what Paul gets at in these few verses in Colossians when he talks about Christ dying and Christ rising. But what he does is he incorporates us into that work. And he says, look, Jesus absorbed that debt for you. And then so therefore, just as Jesus died to sin, guess what? You have now died to sin. And just as Jesus was buried, you have been buried. And just as Jesus rose from the grave, you too have been risen. You too will experience newness of life. That's how Jesus forgives us. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 6. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Colossians 2, Paul does something very interesting that you kind of miss when you're reading it in English. But in the Greek text, he uses this prefix or this preposition that means with. It's pronounced soon. Sigma, upsilon, nu. And he uses it four different times in these few verses. He says that we are buried with him. That's actually like an actual verb. The soon goes on the front of the word as a prefix. Then he says that we have been raised with him the same way. Then he says that we've been made alive together with him. And one of the things that Paul says over and over and over again, not just in Colossians, but in all of his letters, is how we are in him. 
See, what Paul is getting at is not only has Jesus absorbed our debt, he can absorb our debt and we can experience forgiveness of our debt because now we are united with Christ. This is what we talked about last week with reconciliation and adoption. Being united with Christ, we become sons of God and therefore heirs of God. All that is Christ becomes ours. We're united with him. Another way to think about this is we participate in Jesus' story. Right? Your old story outside of Christ is a story about sin. But when you are in Christ, when you're united with him, his story becomes your story. His story is a story of forgiveness. His story is a story of righteousness. His story is a story of life. And your old story of sin is no longer your story. You now have his story. You're now a part of his story. So how then do we receive this forgiveness? Paul slips this in in verse 12 just by saying it almost in passing. He's talking about all of these things that Christ has done and that we're united with him in circumcision and baptism. And then in verse 12, he says, in which you were also raised with him through what? Faith. Through faith. Through faith in the powerful working of God. Because forgiveness absorbing our sin debt is a powerful working of God. If no one else can do it, if you can't do it, I can't do it, no government official can do it, if only God can do it, therefore it is then a powerful work of God. And Paul says that the only way that we experience and receive this powerful working of God is through what? Faith. Faith in who? Jesus. In his life, death, and resurrection, believing that Jesus, in fact, is who he says he is, the Son of God. God come down from heaven who has put on flesh, becoming human. And how Jesus lived a sinless life, a perfect life, a righteous life, and then went to the cross for our sins, that Christ died in our place for our sin, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day. That is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul says, I have delivered to you of what is of utmost importance. Meaning there's nothing more important than the truth of the gospel that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures for your sin, that he was buried, and that on the third day he did what? Rose from the grave. That's the gospel. And Paul tells us that that gospel, that message, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what can save us, but we must have what? Faith. Part of faith is repentance, because you have to recognize that Jesus died for something. If you look at the cross and you're like, I believe that Jesus died, but I don't know why he died, then you're failing to understand the fact that he absorbed your debt. 
And so there's a part of you that has to repent. That word means to turn away. You've been living this life. There is sin. There is debt in your name to God. And the only way to walk away from that is to turn to the cross and trust the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus did in fact absorb your debt and free you from that debt. But Paul does something else here. He ties our faith to our baptism. So Paul asks the question, hey, when were you circumcised? When did you die? When did you rise? When did you believe? Paul says when? At your baptism. See, for Paul, faith and baptism are almost inseparable. Not because the water of baptism does anything. Because baptism is that act of faith. When you confess before God and before witnesses that you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Bobby Jameson describes baptism like this. He says, baptism is where faith goes public. This is why we talk so much about baptism. This is why we encourage you to not delay baptism. If if you've believed and trusted in Jesus, then your next step is to do what? Be baptized. Faith and baptism are not meant to be separated because faith and baptism point to Jesus offering us forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift. Receive it. So Jesus offers us forgiveness. He can forgive our debt. But the second truth that I want you to catch on to is that not only does God forgive our debt through Jesus, God removes our debt. I want you to look at verses 14 through 15. There's two images that Paul now brings up. Verses 14 through 15, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How did Jesus redeem us? Two images, a legal image and a war image. The legal image where he says there's this record of debt. Anybody ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? There are three movies in life where I get all of my wisdom for living from, okay? Tommy Boy, Dumb and Dumber, and Christmas Vacation. All of life can be summarized in those three movies, really. Remember the part in Dumb and Dumber where he's got all of these IOUs? (laughs) And he's like, you're going to want to hold on to these. (laughs) What Paul is saying here is this record of debt that stands against us is like an IOU. And every single one of us, every single one of us has an IOU before God. It's, it's our record of debt for God because what we've been called to do and what we've been tasked to do from God is to obey him and live for him. But when we stand before the cross of Jesus and recognize our debt, we recognize we've been living with an IOU our entire life. An IOU, by the way, that you can't pay back. And so Paul gives us this image of an IOU. It's a, it's a legal document recording what we owe. And then he talks about war. 
At the very end in verse 15, he says, look, he's disarmed. Jesus has disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's put them to open shame. This image, and we're going to talk about victory in a few weeks, but this image is as if Jesus is a conquering king, a conquering general, and he's having a victory parade. And as he marches through the streets, behind him are all of his enemies, primarily Satan. And Satan is bound because he's a conquered enemy. Paul says that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross dying for our sins. See, Jesus not only absorbed all of our debt, he crucified all of our debt. This week I thought about the, uh, the student loan forgiveness stuff going on, right? There's been all of this talk about like, hey, if you have student loans for this long and they're this much, they can be forgiven. And I looked up like, well, what does it take to have your student loans forgiven? And it's like you have to have like $12,000 uh, of student loan or less. And you have to have had made payments on that student loan for up to 10 years. And then perhaps, maybe, if you can apply and your student loan could be forgiven. Which, hey, that's, like, that's really great news, right? If you have student loan, that's incredible. I, I mean, I think about, like, think about buying a house. You know, that was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. Wait, how much debt am I taking on? So just imagine buying a house and you get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt with one signature. And then the bank's like, you know what? We're just, forget it. It's no big deal. It's forgiven. That's what Paul is saying that Jesus has done for us. In, in not just saying, like, the debt is forgiven, that Jesus has absorbed it, but he's saying, like, look, it's gone. It is no more. Imagine logging in online to where you make your mortgage payment and you're about ready to make that month's mortgage payment and you're like, wait, the balance says zero. Like it's gone, right? Should we pray right now? That's what Paul is getting at for our debt to be removed. He uses the word cancel, literally erased, blotted out. He says that it's been set aside to remove it or take it away. And then he describes to us how our debt is removed. He says Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross. And probably more importantly, it's not that our debt was nailed to the cross, but that Jesus was nailed to the cross carrying our debt. That is powerful truth. If that's not shaking you right now, you need to do some serious soul searching. Because all of us have a debt to God that we cannot repay. And even if we've trusted in Jesus to forgive us, there is a good chance that we still walk around with guilt, shame, and fear over the debt that has been absorbed and removed. And the truth of the gospel needs to remind us that we are free. That God has not only forgiven us of our sin, he has removed that sin. So the guilt, shame, and fear that you feel, God's not putting that on you. 
Because it's not there anymore. Jesus took that. That's what Paul is saying. That's how significant this is. It's not just that we've been forgiven. It's that our sin is gone. So for you and I, what this means is like, look, forgiveness is real. Forgiveness is real. Accept it. Some of us came to Jesus and we truly believe in Jesus and we, we believe that he's forgiven us, but we can't forgive ourselves. We can't accept that even though Jesus has said, like, this is good news that I died for you, we can't accept the fact that Jesus would take away that guilt and take away that shame and take away that fear, but that's what the, Christ, the cross of Christ did for us. He absorbed our debt and he removed our debt. Forgiveness is real, accept it. When we think about forgiveness, we've really got a few options that our culture throws out to us. One is this idea of cheap grace. Where like you're, you're wronged and you feel hurt, you feel broken, you feel like there needs to be forgiveness, but the cheap grace is like, hey, it's okay, no big deal, I forgive you. When deep down, you're like really struggling to forgive. For some of us, there's little grace. Where it's like, if someone wants forgiveness, what they are going to have to experience is a litany of tests that if you do X, Y, and Z, then I'll forgive you. And for some of us, it's like, no, 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 there is no grace. You messed up, and I will never forgive you. What I hope you see is that the Bible lays out a very different picture of forgiveness. It's costly grace. It cost Jesus his life. There was a penalty for sin. Justice had to be done. And yet at the same time, on the other side of that, there was grace and there was mercy and there was forgiveness. See, I think one of the reasons so many of us have a problem with extending forgiveness to one another and to other people is because we fail to understand the forgiveness that has been extended to us from God. God has given us costly grace. Jesus dying on the cross absorbed all of our sin and all of our debt. Jesus dying on the cross removed all of our sin and all of our debt. The most heinous act in all of the world does not compare to the sin that we have committed against our holy God. That is, listen to me, that is not downplaying evil. I don't want you for a minute to think that there shouldn't be justice in our world. There should. 
But what I don't think we understand is how we have offended a holy God. And I think that when we begin to understand the kind of forgiveness that God has offered us, the costly grace that God has extended to us in his son Jesus, we will then begin to understand what it looks like to actually forgive one another. But forgiveness must begin with our relationship with God. Jesus' death on the cross forgave and removed our debt against God. I pray that that is good news that you cling on to this week. That when you're listening to Taylor this week, and maybe that song pops up, the clean version, by the way, and you hear that line, don't get sad, get even. You're reminded of what Jesus did on your behalf. He loves you. And he's forgiven you. Hold on to that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And the only reason that we are able to love you is because you have loved us first. The only reason that we are able to be in relationship with you is the thing that separates us from you, you took. Jesus, you took our debt and you removed it from us so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be without guilt and shame and fear, so that we can be free before you, God. May we rest in the truth of the cross. May we find freedom in the truth of the cross this week. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.